0: back to another episode of claptrap with martin tolan and mike the
1: lummox mike how you doing oh i'm i'm doing i'm doing swell martin i'm i'm just uh i'm just reveling in all this news coming on this week it's like every it's like every week i we start that we end the week or we start um after we record the episode i'm like oh the news wire is kind of dry right now and then it just takes like a day yeah and then it fills back up yeah I know it it never ends, which is good for us. Um, If you
0: don't mind, Mike, I wanted to tell you quickly about something that I experienced recently. Um, You know, as you know, of course, and hopefully our listeners know at this point that I am not an American citizen. I am originally from Norway and uh, the healthcare system works quite differently over there. And I don't know. You mean it works period. Yeah, it works. It works. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, A little over two years ago, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, which means I have to take some medication to make sure that my joints don't destroy themselves. And this is a medication that it's known as methotrexate. It's a form of um, chemotherapy that in very high doses is used for uh, treating cancer patients. But in low doses, it's used to suppress your immune system so that uh, your immune system won't destroy your joints. And this is a medication that was provided to me for free in the Norwegian healthcare system. And then I moved over here and I married to my wife who works in a healthcare position for the government. She works for the VA. And she has very, very good insurance through her job. And since we're now married, I'm covered through her insurance. And I had to get a new prescription for methotrexate so that I can still, you know, walk upstairs and stuff. And for four weeks, sw- four weeks worth of medication. so it's an injection that you take one day or once a week. Without insurance, it was $800 dollars. With insurance, it was 400. Now we're fortunate enough that we're able to pay for it, but I kind of assumed that it was going to be much more affordable with the insurance and just getting that like big shock sticker price shock at the uh, at the pharmacy. Kind of reminded me how when I'm in a completely different world over here.
1: Um, have you experienced you, anything like that? Are you sure she can't do any like take back takebacksies on the marriage? Like uh, now you're 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 kind of an expensive partner to have now. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just <laughs> I'm kidding. Like, I course. don't know if I want to pay for this. <laughs> but uh, I mean, but like seriously, that obviously yes, of course you're lucky. It matters, and it matters that you are able to afford it. But you know that a lot of people couldn't. And they'll, but but they don't have a choice, you know, so they're going to do everything they can to afford it. And then it becomes as essential as eating or as rent. And, and, you know, but then that, that comes at a cost Yeah. and the cost Uh, is, is, you know, your ability to save and pay for other things like debt. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how it, it
0: struck me. We are fortunate enough that we were able to pay for it this time and we could pay for it more times if we needed to, um, and you know we're gonna to have to work something out with the my doctor and everything, but i it just made me think of people who are in a different uh financial position and who need the medication but maybe can't pay for it. I mean four hundred dollars every four weeks, and that's your copay
1: that that's not nothing this is this is this is the thing about about when people talk about socialism in the United States, yeah. I hate when they talk about it because it's such a like most things, it's such a facile, simple minded catch all term to talk about something that is actually really beneficial. Yeah. All it means to me is that some things are so important that they need to be regulated and insured by the government. And some of those things include home Internet for example, right? Yeah. Like the whole world runs on digitally now. You can't not have internet expect to compete in the labor market. And we fucking found uh, that
0: out during the pandemic. Children needing to be homeschooled, right, there you go. Or, you know, doing classes from home, they need internet. A lot of poor kids couldn't keep up with their schoolwork because of that.
1: Yeah, it's not a luxury yeah. just to watch porn, although it is for me. Oh. Um and and <laughs> other things there. and then, you know, other things like tra- public transportation. It's not it, when it's it's not an option to give people access to public transportation and most of the time that's something that big cities like new york city manage somewhat well yeah. they kind of have a hybrid model of like you know this is going to be privatized but kind of subsidized you know and mm-hmm. with uh with taxes or whatever and public money yeah um but it's it's too important to just say oh you know what we're gonna let a private business handle that and healthcare. Yeah. It supersedes both of those things. Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's not even close. Like they're all important, but that's healthcare is by far the most important. Yeah. And don't you
0: have compassion for your fellow man? Don't you want your fellow citizens to not be dying because they can't afford their monthly, uh, you know, allotment of insulin, for instance? I mean, it's just, it should be based solely on compassion. Like, yeah, we want socialized medicine,
1: Yeah. And Uh, stop and stop vilifying that term that is socialized. Yeah, it is. Guess what? Because if you didn't have anything socialized, you would have a pretty terrible country where it's like, Mm. you know, uh, you know what else is socialized? The firefighting department. (laughs) <laughs> Why not privatize that? I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, it's crazy. And well, did you pay your taxes this year? Okay, we'll come put out the fire in your house. What would be the alternative be without socialized services? You would have a purely yeah. capitalistic society mm-hmm. where it's it's you know winner um, take all and mm-hmm. uh, predator eat prey and the some winners and a lot of losers. And that's kind of not that far away from what we actually have. Yeah, and these types of things just make it worse. So yeah, it's profoundly sad. I'm lucky to say that I don't have to deal with it, but yeah. I'm I'm constantly aware of it. Like even even being privileged, you know, and having enough money to 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 you know to pay for my own health care and to yeah. have a job that provides me health care, I'm still aware of like okay, but what if yeah something happens? What if exactly. I get diagnosed with some terminal illness and it's going to cost you know two thousand three thousand dollars a month? To yeah. pay for that treatment, like what all of these things. And I'm like, okay, what if I can't take care of myself and I'm elderly and I, and I have, and I'm weak because of some illness, like, and I have to pay for, um, you know, yeah. home care or whatever, what if, and so yeah. then I'm thinking, well, shit, I need to have a lot of money. Well, that's yeah. great. If you can, ha- if you can swing it. <laughs> and in the <laughs> and- grand scheme of things, you know, we're
0: pretty lucky. I mean, rheumatoid arthritis sucks, but it's not like it's the end of the world. You can deal with it with the medication. And so I don't mean to sound like a privileged dick over here, but just, I know there are people who have it way worse than me and I have compassion mm-hmm. for those people, but I just, it was a, a, an unexpected reminder of this new system that I now operate in.
1: I, I don't think that your experiences should ever be need to be compared to worse experiences and be diminished because of them. They are real and they are, they are burdensome to you and that's enough. Yeah. So especially you know,
0: now that I'm not uh, allowed to work. So the only uh, breadwinner in our house is uh, my wife as of now.
1: Well, I guess the best, the at least the good fallback option for you is that you can always just go back to Norway and get treated and then come <laughs> exactly. back here. So at <laughs> least okay. you have that <laughs> go back to my socialist utopia. <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, yeah. I just want to share that
1: with you and, and get your thoughts on that. All right, well, hopefully your wife isn't calling immigration trying to say you had a sham marriage and <laughs> trying to get you ticket, ticket kicked out of the country.
0: I'm going to keep my eye on her. Yeah, yeah. Mike, I know but, you had a couple of things you wanted to just uh, bring
1: up right off the, the bat here. Yeah, I mean, there's been so much news, and we're not really going to talk about it, but a couple, there's so many things that came up, like even just today, yeah. which is Tuesday, uh, May 10th, uh, Apple's discontinuing the iPod. And my response to that is, they still make iPods. <laughs> Who the fuck uses an iPod? Why would you use an iPod when there's this whole other device that does everything an iPod does? And hey, I have some? an iPod, but it can also make calls. It's right here. It's an iPod. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, I don't know why the hell. I mean, there must have been somebody buying it, or either like. And look, I mean, I I don't know. I don't have the research on this, but I'm mm. sure that in some countries where you know buying an iphone was was not an option for some people maybe yeah. that's where ipod still existed but either way okay right. like nobody's going to miss this but i do want to just say mm-hmm. you know i just do want to just acknowledge what a what a seminal moment it was in history for for, for technology and for people when this oh, yeah. ipod came out like it was just this crazy thing it was like whoa all these things yeah. And, and when you look back on stuff like that it always seems so obvious you're like yeah people had walkman and Discman. like mm-hmm. why wouldn't they want a smaller device with more songs on it yeah and now it's just like you know you don't even think about that yeah <laughs> but yeah i had a i
0: had a one of some of the earlier i had the ipod mini and the nano i think it was called mm-hmm I think I had three or four different variations of the early the early iPod models. And I really enjoyed having them. They were kind of fun. And you could just listen to music. It wasn't the constant distractions of notifications and all the other bullshit. Uh ah, the comes simpler day smartphone. Where you, you could just listen days.
1: to music and you didn't have the distractions of everything else. Yeah, exactly. That's actually there were no ads, nothing. It's funny because if you if you change your perspective just a little bit, you could say, Oh wow, what a what an important moment in history when Apple released you know the iphone right but then also like you could also say equally what a what a terrible moment when everything started to go downhill <laughs> we started having you yeah. know te- teens addicted to instagram and tiktok and you know yeah. uh all <laughs> committing suicide and and, you know, people unable to communicate in, in social settings and things like that. Yeah, like, they can't it, it, even make eye contact, contact anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but anyway, iPod, uh, I guess, uh, thank you for what you gave to us and goodbye. Um, yeah.
0: Rest in peace.
1: And then there's so much other stuff. Like, I mean, Elon Musk said that if he does, you know, end up going through with the Twitter purchase um, acquisition that he's going to unban Trump, which... I was like, "Duh!" You like, talked about this
0: in our very first episode. You said explicitly that he, or the, a lot of the signaling around, uh, or coming from him, was that the
1: subtext was he's going to unban forty-five. When I was when I read, and, and this is you know, it feels like months ago, but it was really like two weeks ago, two yeah. three weeks ago. When I when I was reading his his uh, his whole spiel on free speech and how Twitter needs to have free speech. I took. I really primarily took it as, oh, I'm going to unban Trump. That that's what I because because what I took it as is that he's trying to uh, sort of send out like a like a flare to his to his followers and yeah. his followers all most of which, most of them probably wish Trump was unbanned because if you think about it, and I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but if you think about it, if you like Elon Musk as a persona. Right. You probably like Donald Trump as a persona. There's a that's lot of a similarities point. there, right? That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, "This is obviously what he's like." He didn't say it, but that's obviously what it was. And now here we are. <laughs> you called it, man. You well, I mean, absolutely that, called it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 yeah, thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll get one thing right out of a hundred these days. So yeah. Um, and then other than other news, um, there was a. Uh, there's smaller news, but um, Electronic Arts, that makes the popular video game FIFA, the soccer game. They oh, uh, EA,
0: yeah, EA Sports.
1: Yeah, EA, yeah. So they, they said that they were going to break off their, their licensing agreement with FIFA. So they'll basically have a soccer game that has individual licenses with all of the teams around the globe, like just the clubs themselves. But it won't say FIFA anywhere. And that means it won't include like, fifa tournaments like the world cup so it'll probably be called something else like yeah. or, i don't know world world goblet or something you know <laughs> And I just global thought, soccer cup <laughs> yeah. and i just thought this was funny i mean it sucks for fifa because like at least like a third of their revenue comes from like this this specific licensing deal but yeah you know i, I think all of this just just like it, it makes me think of the power of well-funded large cap um, companies that, that, that have all this cash and they create, they create thriving businesses out of these partnerships. And then suddenly they just, you know, hit the switch. And then did they say done. anything about their reasoning? What was the, the impetus behind this? I, it, I think that's all up for speculation, but it's, let's put it this way. If, if this was an NBA game, yeah, right. National basketball association or mm-hmm. NFL game, they couldn't do it. Because if you break ties with the NFL, you therefore break ties to all the teams and their yeah. IP in the NFL. They are the gatekeeper to it. You don't have – and you can't have a team uh, – you can't have licensing agreement with just the Denver Broncos. You can't do it. You yeah. have to go through the NFL, and FIFA's not like that. FIFA's just a governing body. They're not like the franchiser. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, interesting. Okay. So that allowed EA, I think, to to just go directly to all the teams and be like, hey – you want to do this? You want to do this for ourselves? Like give you a little bit more of the cut, but like kick them out. Like they're probably like, okay, you know? And yeah, that's, that's, that was it. I assume. Yeah. Well, everybody's going to keep making money. They wouldn't have done it otherwise. Yeah. 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 I mean, who knows? There, There may be a chance that they'll turn, that they'll, they'll come to some agreement. Like you said, everything is, everything's about money in one way or another. Like I'm sure, I'm sure to a degree it's, it's, it makes, it's better for EA to, keep fifa if they can at a certain price yeah so we just we'll see what happens okay cool yeah and i know that there was some um something that you really wanted to talk about um reporters without borders yes which is Have right you up your alley i hadn't heard of it until you brought it up to me last week <laughs> mm. well uh so i'm sure you've heard of doctors
0: without borders right uh reporters without borders is a um an organization that does a lot of studies and work on uh, press freedom around the world. And every year they release an annual ranking of press freedom and the state of the press in 180 countries and territories around the world. And just last week uh, they released their ranking for 2022. And the overall picture, Mike, is that it's not good. Uh, So, a higher number than ever has been rated as I think they call it very bad or not good or something, the term they use. I'm not sure specifically what the term is, but uh, more countries than ever has been rated in the worst category that they use to designate the state of the free and independent press. So, 28 countries around the world has been designated as like very very bad, which essentially means that. You know, uh, autocratic regimes, despotic regimes will use their um, uh, their power to crack down on independent media. And what does that translate to? That translates to the fact that the populace cannot get an unfiltered, critical view of what their uh, government is doing, because the government is cracking down on and controlling in some places, controlling the press. And what happens when you have uh, a a population that can't get um, independent news about what's going on in their own country, especially what's going on in their own governments? Uh, It's just part of a a global trend towards um, authoritarianism. And uh, I think it's a a very bad signal about where we're heading. Um, So America, if you're wondering, in this ranking, uh, last year, they were in number 44 in 2021, but at least they moved up two spots to number 42. Uh, but they're still behind countries like Burkina Faso, Moldova, South Africa, the Kingdom of Bhutan, the UK, Jamaica, and Lithuania, among others. So, even though just you know over a week ago Joe Biden was speaking at the White House Correspondents' Dinner about the importance of the free press in America, it's not at the very tip top. Um, so at the top spot, you actually have a, a trio of um, Nordic countries. So Norway is in fact in the number one spot and then Denmark, Sweden, Estonia, and Finland come down to the fifth one. Um, but and another interesting thing that I thought that the um, Reporters Without Borders organization um, noted was that... They call out the so-called Fox News model, and that's their term, uh, the Fox News model of opinion media. And they call it out for uh, making worse the um, social divisions in democratic countries and also that how it helps spread disinformation. Uh, and that was something that I talked about last week when I um, recommended that New York Times analysis of uh, Tucker Carlson and Fox News. Um, so... And the report goes on to say that at the international level, democracies are being weakened uh, by the asymmetry between open societies and autocratic regimes because they uh, basically—how would you phrase it? Because they're autocratic, they have the ability to uh, crack down on any sort of criticism, while open societies like ours— to some degree, here in the U.S. or you know the Nordic countries, they just have to live with the criticism. Mm. It is—I don't know—I'm pretty dismayed by it because it's very clear to me that it's heading in a very bad direction. And you know, some parts of the report um, give some very clear nods without saying specifically, uh, but it gives some very clear nods to Russia, specifically China and Saudi Arabia, which are some of the bigger ones that basically control. Uh, all the media. If, if you want to operate a newspaper in any of those countries, you can't do it without the explicit involvement of the government.
1: (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look, if you, if anyone were to look this up and look at this map of this, this index Mm. um, it's, it's actually kind of not that shocking when you look at it, you're like, Oh, because it's basically color codes countries from, you know, best to worst from like a a light green, to a yellow, to like a, a light orange, to a dark orange, to a red. Yeah. So, like every country that's in red is like the lowest on the list and the worst offenders of this. Mm-hmm. And every one of those countries is basically autocratic in some way. Yeah. If they're either autocratic or they're very, um, they're very economically um, divided between the top, the, the haves, and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. But I would say more so than not they're. They're pretty autocratic, right? Yeah, and so that's not surprising. No. when you think about an autocratic regime, let's think about like China, for example, mm-hmm. or Russia. Um, when you have a you basically have a what you like a one party political system, yeah, right? Like, like Russia holds elections. I mean, yeah, they pretend you know, like it's a you, fair election, yeah, the outcome is is you know <laughs> predetermined and mm-hmm. is a foregone conclusion, but they hold elections. So let's just, you know, let's not call them, you know, let's not call them democratic, whatever. But they hold elections, but there's really just one party. So China yeah. has one political party. Yeah, they have they have one political party, and the thing about having one political party is that there are actually some benefits to it. Not in terms of you know, and, and overall, I think it's a it's a it's a big it's a big um, pain point to its citizens and to that country's prosperity. Yeah. but there are some sort of benefits to it. For example, you saw in China, the way that China was able to respond to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, was swiftly and decisively. Whereas yeah. here in the U S it was like, well, do we have all the data? Like, is this data accurate? I question, Oh, is this guy? know this guy Fouch, you know what he's talking about? Like it right. was the whole thing. But China was like, build hospitals now. Yeah. We're going to build a hospital now, in two weeks. So don't, room don't for leave your house. Patients. Don't, yeah. Don't leave your fucking house or, or we're going to arrest you. Like, and so, so when you need like decisive action, there are times when when a one party system works. But to, to, more to my point, when there is a competing viewpoint to a one party system, that that different set of views becomes another party. And so yeah. these pa- these single parties, which you can think of as a monarchy or a dictatorship or a sham um, democracy like Russia, they do everything to protect the the views so that every view only aligns with the ones that support them that's yeah. why they do it yeah that's why they do it because it works and the, what's mm. scary is seeing the trend of countries that are supposed to be multi-party and more democratic and having more freedom and having them go the wrong direction that's yeah. what's really terrifying
0: yeah uh and actually on that point I just wanted to take a second to to um recognize the bravery of a lot of Russian journalists. So I actually just learned yesterday and today that um, several Russian online news outlets posted a whole host of articles that were critical, but critical of Russia's war in Ukraine. And, um, you know, they're doing everything they can to control the narrative within Russia about how the, they're so co- or supposedly denazifying Ukraine. Um, but they posted uh, a lot of articles in Russia on on so-called uh, state-controlled news outlets uh, that were critical of the war. And at the top of the website, they put a banner that said, please save this to your computer because it won't be long until the authorities take it down. So I uh, just wanted to recognize that type of bravery because that's definitely going to have some very dire consequences for the editors and journalists who, who did that. And so that kind of Goes to show the kind of risks you have to take to be able to uphold the free press.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it's yeah. I, I mean, those people deserve so much credit because I'll be honest <laughs> with you, I don't have the guts to do that. <laughs> yeah, <of> Russia, no. <laughs> there is no way I'm not gonna make. I'm not gonna be a martyr. I'm gonna run to safety, <laughs> like wherever that is. I will yeah. kiss whoever ass I have to kiss just, just to keep safe and comfortable. And you know, I know that's not commendable but i think that's an understandable response so anybody who's willing to really put their ass on the line and knowing that there will be consequences especially in russia where they're known there's to kill journalists yeah like oh yeah like i have so much respect for them um but you know i also i also think that this this is the reason why this is a trend is because it works it's 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 easy enough and and this is just this is conjecture. I don't know that this is true. This is just my take. Yeah. So take it for what it's worth. Okay. It's been established, especially in the last 20 years, that misinformation can be uh, sprouted and and seeded and and nurtured to the point where it creates enough confusion about what the truth is that mm. there is no truth anymore. Yeah. And, the, and the best example I can think of in this is what uh ExxonMobil did for uh, against climate change activism oh yeah I mean basically they you know obviously <laughs> climate change and the and the the reality of it is is an existential threat to the to their business which is oil yeah and so they basically just funded junk science to produce a bunch of reports that said that this is a hoax and and mm-hmm. they knew they knew that if they did this enough, it would eventually create enough doubt and confusion that there would be people, people who didn't know what to believe. And so yeah, exactly. for like, for like 10 years, we just spun our wheels, spun our tires. Just, yeah, well, is it real? I don't know if it's actually real until we finally fucking agreed one day, like recently that, Oh yeah, it is actually happening. And yeah. now, all, now all we disagree on is how fast it's happening, yeah. which is like, which is like the, the most, you know, the 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 tiniest of, of moral victories ever, but yeah.
0: <laughs> finally, well
1: like like what they did co- caused so much damage yeah. to the to the planet as we know, we may never recover from that. I'm not I'm not putting all the blame on them. Like there's certainly systems that allow that to happen, yeah. but, but it definitely point, didn't help. It made things worse. The point is that when you when you want to create misinformation in this day and age, there is a megaphone that makes mm. it work for you. Yeah. And so, you know, governments like China goes extremely far to control any oh, kind yeah. of opposing viewpoints like they it's weird because most of the countries that are, um, I don't know, monarchical or uh, autocratic, they don't have the sort of technological prowess at their fingertips that China has. China yeah. has a lot. And oh, yeah. China. China says, you know, to all their technology companies like you will give us this every user's piece of data and we will oh, monitor yeah. it. And we will surveil them. Yeah. We don't even care what country they're in. If they post something on TikTok or on fucking Snapchat or whatever, they'll fucking find them oh, and yeah. they'll they'll punish them. And there's like yeah. many instances of this. And so like you see how like how much insecurity it shows. For mm. the for the strength of the of the Chinese Party, yeah. um, that that they're willing to go to those lengths just to prevent any kind of opposing political parties from from taking from t- help putting any kind of roots in the ground. Yeah, and so all of this is to say we're in a weird misinformation age. Yeah, and I don't I don't actually know how to fix it other no. than for certain governments to say we're this is the right thing to do. The right thing to do is to protect. The press, this institution, in we some need way, healthy criticism of our institutions because it helps keep us in check. And it doesn't matter if that hurts my party or their party or someone yeah. else's. It, it doesn't matter because it's everything. more. It protects the entire exactly. system. It protects the entire order of things. And if you and if you look at this map, you know all the green countries are <laughs> are close to the Arctic Circle. Yeah. It's it's you know it's uh, it's actually I, I think Ireland, Greenland uh -hmm. finland norway sweden and then this outlier which is costa rica of all places yeah i was surprised (laughs) to see that too but good for them yeah and that's why i think and i'm totally guessing but i think costa rica has seen somewhat of an economic boom in the last few years oh it's just like foreign investment yeah i'm just guessing but it makes sense to me that when there's more economic prosperity there there's less concern from everyone for trying to you know be concerned about who's in power and whatever, because there's not people don't try to change, um, you know, authorities or when when there's economic prosperity, just yeah. in general. Right. And I'm just I'm just conjecturing. That's just my first thought on that.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I just wanted to take a, uh, some time to, to note that. And uh, for anybody listening, if you want a healthier um, media and press ecosystem, my recommendation would be to subscribe to your local newspaper because that's usually where the most important stories start before they're picked up by the national media. And yep. uh, sometimes, every now and then, listen to people who disagree with you, because they might know something you don't. Yep. Yeah. Well, as if that wasn't depressing enough, I'm going to move on to something that I kind of find equally or even more depressing.
1: Um, Are I trying to lose all of our listeners? Is that what you're trying to do?
0: Yeah. I'm trying to bring in the depressed crowd.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. The uh, emo crowd.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the emo crap. Mike, do you know who Tim Snyder is? Uh, no. He is a professor of history at Yale University who's written several interesting books. I've only read one of his books came out a couple of years ago in 2017, I think, called it was a short compendium called On Tyranny. And it was him using his deep historical knowledge to talk about how tyranny emerges in uh, democratic societies. And this is a man who's become famous because he <laughs> seems to have some sort of very divine, almost prognostication powers, but he's just really good at looking at history and spotting it when it repeats itself. And uh, Professor Snyder, he wrote an essay in June last year that I recently read that I can't stop thinking about. And he is speculating about the future of American democracy. Um so the essay, if anybody wants to read it, it is called 9-11 and January 6th. And you can find it on his uh, Substack page. So if you just Google Tim Snyder Substack, you'll find it. But in this essay, he, he opens up with a retelling of a dream that he had uh, one night in June of 2021. And in this dream, he found himself in the first tower in the World Trade Center that was hit on September 11th. And in the dream, he was the only person to realize what was happening. Um, and so he started storming out of the tower down the stairs, uh, trying to make his way out while warning other people that um, you know a plane had hit the building and they needed to join him on, on getting out there and spreading the message to other people. But in his dream, no one took him seriously. And he, he says that he felt utterly powerless to convince people of the very real danger was about to hit them um and he also goes on to describe that some people were even laughing at it so he's predicted a lot of things before and he's been right unfortunately <laughs> so notably he predicted the 2014 invasion of Ukraine by Russia that ended up with them annexing uh, Crimea and he also predicted that Trump would try some sort of coup d'etat to stay in power
1: after he lost the election in 2020. Do you know if his predictions are just based on like these weird dreams, or does he actually like analyzing no, no, no. a lot of data? Okay. No, no, he's analyzing
0: <laughs> that data. But this particular essay just kind of opens with that dream, uh, okay. bec- the retelling of the dream, because he felt it was like a fitting metaphor for what he wanted to actually talk about. Okay. Um, yeah. So he predicted that Russia was going to invade and take Crimea uh, from Ukraine, which they did. He predicted that Donald Trump would try some sort of some form of a coup d'état to stay in power in 2020, or I guess, early 2021, which he did. And he also predicted that um, the quote unquote big lie that the election was rigged and the victory was stolen from him, uh, that that would become Trump's legacy. And I I would give him uh, points for all of that. I think he's right. Um, So uh, Tim Snyder, he says that this nightmare was triggered by a vote last year. In the Senate that prevented uh, a proper investigation of the January sixth insurgency, and so he describes what he called a, a Cassandra feeling. Do you know what that means? A
1: Cassandra feeling. I sorry, I do not. I was thinking about it. I was like Cassandra feeling. Like, have I ever? No, that's okay. Have so- I ever felt? Cassandra. No, that's okay. So it,
0: it, <laughs> it means uh, you feel something and then you tell people about it, but then they don't believe you and they kind of make fun of you for your distress over not being believed, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. Here, let me look up the definition. It seems odd that there would be like a whole
1: term just for that.
0: Yeah, the Cassandra <laughs> metaphor is applied by some psychologists to individuals who experience physical and emotional suffering as a result of distressing personal perceptions and who are disbelieved when they attempt to share the cost of their suffering with others. Okay. All right, so moving on. Uh, he says that he had this Cassandra feeling um, when he's seeing where all of this is headed when the Senate... Voted to not properly investigate the January sixth insurgency, um, and he also feels that he has warnings about uh, you know where American democracy is headed and they're not being heeded. So he lays out as a possible he lays out this possible path towards the presidential election in twenty twenty four and also the midterm elections later this year. And remember that this was written um, under a year ago. So number one. Donald Trump lies about the elections being rigged and untrustworthy, which then, quote, unquote, authorizes him and others to acquire power in, quote, extra democratic ways. Number two, um, the lie becomes institutionalized in state legislatures through voter suppression laws and other laws that gives them the right to decide how to allocate their votes in the Electoral College and presidential elections. Number three. Republicans win back the House and Senate and regain power in Congress in midterm elections of 2022, partly due to this voter suppression. Looks like we're heading that way. It's very likely that the Democrats uh, might lose uh, control of Congress in the midterms. Number four. Then in 2024, the Republican candidate, maybe it's Trump and maybe it's Ron DeSantis of Florida, maybe some other people, Josh Hawley, Hawley of Missouri, for example, uh, loses the popular vote by several million votes and the Electoral College by a margin of only a few states. Number five, state legislatures claim rigged elections and voter fraud and change their electoral ca- electoral count votes. Then the losing candidate becomes president. Pretty bleak scenario, but I don't think it's so far fetched to see how this is something that might happen, considering that uh, a lot of uh, Republican state legislatures are working on voter suppression laws. Um, So Tim Snyder, he says that no one is really seeking to hide that this is the plan, that it is out there in the open for anybody who cares to look. He writes, if your platform, platform is that elections do not work, you are saying that you intend to come to power some other way. The big lies decide not to win an election, but to discredit one. Any candidate who tells it is alienating most Americans and preparing a minority for a scenario where fraud is claimed. This is just what Trump tried in 2020 and it led to a coup attempt in January of 2021. It will be worse in January of 2025. So hopefully, or thankfully, he ends on a bit of a, a hopeful note. He says that it's not at all clear that this plan will work and that it will come to pass. And he draws this analogy to his 9-11 dream that when Trump told the big lie about the election being rigged against him, that's when the plane hit the building and that what happens next after this impact has a certain logic to it. And he thinks that the chain of events that is unfolding, it can be stopped, but only if it's understood. But he says he is afraid that not enough voters understand it. And so...
1: I read that. I mean, and it's pretty bleak. It's it pretty voters depressing. do you expect voters to understand things like Right. That's exactly that's, a, that's a very high problem. high bar to clear. Yeah, that's <laughs> part is, of the problem. What do you so, think this is Norway?
0: <laughs> no, I, thought, I think you're giving Norway too much credit. Um, Probably, but Yeah. We have a lot of, we, lot of uh, That's just lot how of, things how bad things have gotten here. Right. So I think that I probably have made an inadequate uh, summary of the essay. Uh, it doesn't really do it justice. Anybody who's listening really should read that essay. Again, it's called "9/11 and January 6th," and you can find it on Tim Snyder's Substack. Any thoughts to
1: what I just told you, Mike? Uh, yeah, most of them are sad and a little depressing. And uh, tell I, me I mean, I'm wrong I,
0: or tell me it's wrong.
1: No, please. it's not. It's not that you're wrong. It's that you're right. If you were wrong, I would be like, "Ha, oh, Martin." Yeah. <laughs> you're Like this isn't even you know it's crazy because like you mentioned all these other predictions he's had and mm. some of those seem pretty pretty prescient now that you look back at them but this yeah. one doesn't even seem like it's that special it seems like yeah obviously it's like <laughs> and I mean not that not to describe I'm not discrediting him or anything I'm just saying like mm. they've been so blatant with what they what their actual motivations are yeah uh, that that this isn't a surprise and and there's there's no. There's it's just like I don't know when or how or why it happened, but I I almost I, I can't tell if it's because of Trump or if it's or if or if these powers are what made Trump allowed to exist. And what I mean by that is w- Trump, I feel like Trump, for whatever reason, he decided that The normal way of doing things where people, you know, had to look like they cared about their jobs being a politician, where they had to look like they cared about the country, where they had to get obtain power only in a legal manner. Like all of those things just went to the wayside when Trump became president. And I can't Mm -hmm. tell if it's if it's the same powers that made him president that are doing this or if it's because he sort of made it okay and proved that it's a, it's a viable model for gaining power. And I think it's the latter. I think that he basically, like, I, I really hesitate to, to credit Trump with anything that, you know, seems like a, seems like cerebral or scheming or whatever. Cause I don't see him mm-hmm. as like a schemer, like everything I've read about him and I've read a couple books about him, everything I've read about him, he doesn't, he's not like a, I think he had a lot of schemers around him. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I he, think he himself just completely yeah. oblivious, but also ruthless. Right. He's not, he's not, he's not like some mad, you know, um g- mad genius villain or something, you know, like a no. Lex Luthor type or whatever. But anyway, yeah. you know, yeah. what I'm what I'm saying is that he said, Fuck this. I'm not following the rules. I'm doing this. Tell me I can't. And yeah. that's what he did. And yeah. then basically the courts were like, well, uh, now we have to make a decision that we didn't ever have to expect to make. Yeah. And as he was, you know, and of course he appointed a lot of people to um, to court positions as judges. Mm-hmm. And I don't have all the details, on it, but we know he did it, and we know he had a certain type that he liked to pick. Right. Yeah. Just look at the Supreme Court if you're really curious. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying that that's all of that has made this happen, but I definitely think that because he he decided that I'm going to just flout the rules and dare someone to cut to hold me accountable for it. Yeah. That that's exactly what everyone else is doing. And they're saying, well, fuck he did that. Let's let us do that too. And let's, I bet you the courts will be on our side. I bet you. Yeah. And they probably will be, as you see, like most of like a lot of uh, the courts are, are are as divided as, as everybody else in this country, which is insane. Mm. The courts are supposed to be neutral. I don't under, understand. So I'm I'm annoyed just talking because, of like, what the fuck? If we can't use our legal power to stop shit like this from happening, then what the fuck are we? Yeah, we're not we're not a country. We're not a, we're not anything. We're just pure anarchy. Yeah. Um. And it, it,
0: it, interestingly enough, his presidential period kind of laid bare for everyone to see how much on the political system rests solely on norms and manners. But then when you get a candidate who just discredits all the norms and manners, you realize, oh, there are no rules in place to stop somebody like this. It's just that we didn't do that previously. But now that we have somebody who's willing to do the things you're not supposed to do, there aren't actually any sort of uh, concrete regulations or, or or laws in place to stop
1: this type of behavior. And so it's uh, it's not boding well. That's You've said that very well. A lot of things weren't exactly formalized. And we, I mean, I remember way too vividly the last presidential election, and oh my god, the shit that Trump was trying to do to to claim victory and and mm-hmm. to test the the, uh, the the you know the state powers in in the state of Michigan or whatever, and they were like, I don't, we don't know what the fuck, like this never happened before, like thank yeah. God, like but it all came as I, I mean, I don't remember all the details, but basically as I remember it. It all came down to, like, one or two individuals, like, deciding to uphold their moral obligations. Well, yeah. forgive me if I don't find that reassuring the next time around. Yeah. And it may not even – I'm not even talking about the, just, like, the next presidential election. It's probably, you know, local local, and state politics are probably way more powerful, and it's probably happening under our noses if, without me even knowing it because you just yeah. don't see it. I don't pay attention to all that shit whenever you see the state. and, and that's kind of uh, – um
0: underscores how important it is for everyone who can to vote in your local elections because those people matter when the time comes so vote for the right candidates
1: it's just it's just like i'm just i'm just terrified for what this country is like let's let's just say that the people who are doing this got their way what would what would we be what kind of country would we be i can't even imagine like like it's one of those things that like Even if it let's just say let's just say like you're listening to this and you're like, well, yeah, like I would love to have Republicans in power because I I align with their political ideology or whatever. Okay, cool, Mm -hmm. maybe that's fair. What about what what would this do after this this current this current crop of politicians, you know, moves out of office and the next ones come in? Like, are you eventually going to have a better country or a worse country? Yeah. And I think the answer to that is clear. Yeah. So it's just it's just like it's this is the stuff I hate talking about and reading about because it just makes me lose all hope because like you see yeah. how how toothless our systems are to actually stop this shit. Because mm. unfortunately, eventually, it all relies on people to just make to make morally righteous decisions to be like, uh, mm. actually, this is not how our country is supposed to be run. I learned that in law school when i had to learn about the constitution yeah you know and like the fact that it has to come down to such a simplistic set of decisions anyway i'm 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 rambling but i'm just i'm just fucking annoyed
0: yeah well i apologize for bringing you down but hopefully yeah, i can bring you, you why did you ho- do that hopefully i can bring you back up with this next piece of news okay you mind if Fine. i just uh i'm gonna i'm gonna switch gears here uh really quickly okay mike i blame do you, you
1: do you own any <laughs> nfts? Uh, no, I'm not an idiot. You, you know what an <laughs> NFT is, right? Of course, yeah. Um,
0: a recent Wall Street Journal report um, says that the NFT market is quote unquote collapsing because, uh, an analysis by the website Non Fungible, which tracks the NFT market found that NFT sales fell to a daily average of 19,000 transactions compared to 225,000 daily transactions just 7 months ago in September which means that the NFT market on average is down 92% and also um you know active wallets that store NFTs they fell by 88% and also Google Trends search data shows the interest that interest in um, shows the interest in in the topic has plummeted by eighty nine percent since the um, uh, January the first month of month of this year, uh, and just a very funny concrete example of this to me, the very first tweet in history, put out uh, by Jack Dorsey, the co founder of Twitter. It was sold as an NFT on auction for the equivalent. Well, it was sold by. Uh, Paid for it with cryptocurrency, but the equivalent of $2.9 million. And later, that NFT was put up for resale in April of this year. And the top bid, take a guess, Mike. How much was the top bid? Uh, uh, $200,000. You're off by several orders of magnitude. It was $280 was the top Ah. bid for the first tweet (laughs) of all time that somebody had previously paid $2.9 million
1: for. I mean, I don't want to laugh at someone's misfortune, but God knows I've 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 lost enough money in financial markets where I'm I'm allowed to do that. Um, yeah, so um, I think I think that I propose that instead of we should replace the English word bubble with NFT. We should never use bubble again. Anytime you want to say bubble, say NFT. That's it. Because this is everybody, even even like hardcore crypto <laughs> enthusiasts. Knew everybody knew this was the bubble. This was like oh, the most yeah. speculative bullshit thing because it, it it made no sense. And and I hear I look I know all the arguments, so don't fucking at me. I know them all, and yeah. I'll tell you why you're wrong on all of them. Okay, like like uh, people would say things like, "Well, this is no different than you know owning the original. I don't know uh, Mona Lisa or something. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you could make a copy of it, but you don't own the original." I'm sorry. Like this is a this is a digital asset. Nobody owns it. The only person who owns it is the one who says, "I have it." And like there has to be like somebody some kind of authoritative um like entity like for example, Twitter or the NBA who makes like these these NFTs called uh, top shot, right? Of like famous mm-hmm. NBA plays. And like that's the only thing that gives it credibility is like we said it's the first one, so now it is the first one. Yeah. And um, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, if you look, like, there was a a report that came out from a NFT analytics company called Moonstream back in October. Mm -hmm. And in October, it reported that 81% of the NFT market was owned by, like, like, I don't know, like 16% of the people in the market. Oh, my God. So that's a very centralized... condensed kind of market which tells you what it tells you that some people are are just hyping it up hyping it up pumping it up making making their money because the value of whatever they bought is more valuable but they're just they're just building hype with no substance behind it there's no Hmm. there's no substance to this and in the finance world is this what's known as a pump and dump scheme uh or is that different it's it's in effect, it's almost exactly the same. I could argue that maybe the motivations are different, like okay. but but yeah, it's it's the same because you're basically you're doing something, some kind of underhanded, subterranean activities to artificially create the perception of value for something yeah. that directly benefits you, which yeah. if you don't see that as a conflict of interest. I don't know you might need a new brain i don't know yeah you and need a neurological exam yeah and and then and then of course when it when and this happens in crypto too right a new a new crypto coin release and dude in Miami you see billboards for this shit i mean oh, yeah, so I, haven't all all the I haven't seen them in the place i haven't seen them the last couple months but there's billboards like buy shiba coin what the fuck i don't want to buy shiba coin what the <laughs> fuck is that shiba <laughs> coin Oh, you man. know, and, and but this is I mean, now it's like one of the established ones, but there's all kinds of shit like this. Right. And yeah. like a lot of people have gotten in trouble for exactly what you said, pump and dump. So like mm. it it's basically in short. Yes, it's pump and dump in a way. And um, mm. I'm glad it's dying because I don't want people to lose money. But you knew if you bought this, how speculative it was. Yeah. And you knew you know how speculative thing, how speculative assets go, mm. whether it's crypto And I'm not saying all crypto, like that's a different topic, but certain certain crypto assets or whether it was GameStop or or um, AMC theater stock or Mm -hmm. whatever. You knew that you had to be one of the first people in and one of the first people out to make your money. Yeah. And if you didn't and you were caught holding the bag, well, I'm sorry you learned a very painful lesson. Yeah. Well, NFTs are collapsing, but it's not the only thing going under. Mike. Uh yeah. I mean, you probably have heard about the state of the stock market lately. Yeah, we've and talked about it. I I don't want I don't in general, I don't want to this to be a podcast where we talk a lot about the stock market, but I think it matters to people because the stock market, even for those who aren't, you know, heavily invested in it or you know, don't don't have sort of a, a brokerage account it Mm -hmm. still matters for their overall well-being and their consumer confidence. Right. And so what's been happening, if you haven't heard, is that a lot of companies, but especially technology companies, Mm -hmm. have been getting smashed. And I mean smashed. And this has actually been happening for a little while now, probably the last six, probably like since the Russia-Ukraine war. But Mm -hmm. it's just taken a whole, gone to a whole other gear. Yeah. And so what I want to talk about was Peloton and start there. So Peloton is the best example of of a company that absolutely exploded during the pandemic. Yeah. And they reached a market capitalization, meaning a value, an enterprise value of 47 billion dollars. Jesus Christ. That's yeah. something like Uber in the early days, I think. Exactly. And 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 they didn't have a lot of revenue to support it, but they were just growing so fast. And everybody, you couldn't, there weren't enough Pelotons out there. I own a Peloton. Mm-hmm. There's one behind me right now. Yeah. And when I bought one, it finally came in like January of last year of 2021. Mm-hmm. And it was impossible to get. Like, it wasn't impossible to get. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. It took like three months to get it. Yeah. So it was like they had such a back order of them now fast forward and peloton just been i mean their their founder and ceo got ousted as ceo Mm -hmm. they've been hurting they have uh they can't even give what they call uh, forward guidance in terms of revenue for the usually companies give you know revenue guidance for the whole year they kind of anticipate what they're gonna make that year they can't even do it because they don't they don't know which tells you that they don't have a good grasp on their business yeah they have they had to lower prices of all of their bikes and shit how much um, was
0: your peloton can we just get some
1: context to how much they cost for the why? people who don't you want know me, you want me to be angrier this episode yes i do
0: <laughs> <laughs> no sorry but uh, and so uh, i'm sure most people know but a peloton is an exercise bike that comes with a big touchscreen and a subscription program where you get like live instructional workouts right isn't that the gist yeah. of it
1: yeah you buy the bike uh they also have treadmills now and then you have this like m- this monthly subscription membership to the um to the workout programs and to all these instructors and these Pel- these peloton instructors are like are like famous now they're like celebrities like i was watching yeah. i was watching the nba all-star game the celebrity all-star game yeah which never really includes great lists of celebrities but they went they 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 hit i'm sorry alex toussaint Who's the Peloton instructor they invited? But they invited a Peloton instructor because okay? he was a, enough of a celebrity to go there. <laughs> Apparently, he just cleared or something the bar. I don't, I don't know, but Easy. yes. Yeah. So like, just, you, just anyone who's not familiar, like th- these people are, you know, Peloton still has a lot of members, right? They have like millions mm. of members. So, um, but anyway, their 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 business was exploding, and then suddenly they couldn't figure out what the hell to do, and they, and they had all this product that they couldn't move. And there was a lot of things along the way that didn't mm. help them, but nothing more than the simple fact that they didn't have a post-pandemic strategy. Yeah. So, of course, when their tread when their treadmill killed a child, like, that was bad PR. Wait, what happened? <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny. But their their treadmill... uh was their- just an absurd sentence. Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's unfair to say the treadmill killed the child, but... The treadmill is designed in such a way where, like, it's really hard to describe. But, like, the butt of it kind of like elevates off the floor a little, just like a, it's almost like an aesthetic thing. Yeah, and I guess it's just big enough for like a child to fit there, and to so crawl the child under, like a baby or something. Yeah, and I guess the child got you know <clears throat> killed by the the belt and this little crevice. So and then and then mm. the Peloton CEO started denying it. It became a whole thing, and like. Whoa! So that was one thing, and then there was there was this all sorts of things. There was the Peloton wife commercial thing, but oh, that none was of terrible. That was so cringe. But but none oh, of it really God. that wouldn't have impacted their business. But what what did is not having a strategy. And so yeah. late, what's been happening lately is, aside from their stock just plummeting, mm-hmm. is they've trying to sell twenty percent of their company to raise capital. Raise capital. They Wait, were that mean twenty percent of their stock. Is that what that means? Is, yeah. Are they public? They are public, okay, and yeah, basically twenty percent of their of their stock. Mm-hmm. Um, to re- that's, that means they're desperate. They don't have enough cash on hand to manage their operations, right? Yeah. Um, now they have a new CEO, and um, they just released their earnings report, and it wasn't great. Of course, like they missed yeah. their re- they missed their revenue forecast of what analysts has been expecting, and the new CEO is like, like well. It it's hard to turn around a company like this. It's gonna be painful for a while. And we're like, I'm like, okay. Now, this what bothers me is that this CEO it comes from, I guess he comes from Netflix and and Spotify. So he's really good at getting people to buy digital subscriptions. Yeah. Peloton doesn't need to be a better digital subscription business. They they do, but they need a they need an actual play that isn't just home connected fitness, in my opinion. In my opinion, Peloton's move should be to open up physical studios. And the reason why I think they should do that is because there's a lot of synergy between people, customers who would have a bike at home, yeah, who would go to a studio to use the same bike and have the same experience, but in class, right? Yeah. And then that membership, which would give them access to, to both. And then you can also sell high-priced Peloton shit through that store. New yeah. products. Let people look at those products. Buy their clothes and, and their shoes and shit, right? You could even have celebrity workouts with those
0: famous trainers and have the, the coaches come in, like fly them around different studios and be like, hey, you know,
1: exclusive this Saturday, come and work out with the guy who was at the NBA All-Star game. And then they could record that and you have it as a workout class that they put on the Peloton um. I guess the app, right? The Peloton yeah. app on the bike. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, that's a great idea. And and that's, they're not doing this. And, and yeah. everybody knows that what's happening in general macroeconomic trend right now is that people are everything they used to do, you know, inside because of the pandemic, they're like doing it the opposite way. Yeah. People are sick of being stuck at home. I don't think that trend will last forever. I think that in certain cities like New York and, and San Francisco, people just recently were allowed to like be free. Yeah. In Florida, it wasn't a thing. Like we we stopped believing in the pandemic the day after it happened. But in 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 New York, in New York and San Francisco, like that was not the case. Like they've been mm. like they've been stuck inside. So so I know I'm talking about a lot of different things here, but but in general, like Peloton, I don't like their their strategy. Like their only strategy that their new CEO talked about in their earnings report was. Uh, basically getting people to buy more of their digital subscriptions. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 you know, moving trying to sell more of their products. They actually they actually wrote down $30 million of unsold product, which means that they don't think they can sell it. So they're writing it off as a sunken cost. Oh, they can't get rid of that, the the bikes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Geez. And and they lower the price of their bikes. Oh, by the way, you asked me what mine cost. Yes. So I, because I have to have the best, I bought the I don't know, the that's bike. just
0: a psychological flaw you have, I think. I
1: okay, fine. <laughs> no offense. I bought the uh the bike plus, which is like all it literally all it has is it has a bigger monitor and the monitor swivels. Yeah. But I had I had to have the best. So I bought it, even though it was like eight hundred dollars more. So anyway, I pay like twenty five or twenty six hundred dollars for my bike, something like that. Yeah. Um, which now sure I'd be shocked if I could sell it for $500. I don't even know. But yeah. I, haven't, I don't really use it that much. When I came to visit you in uh, end of March, early April, I used it as a coat rack. But Yeah, you know what? It it, it does make a great coat rack. <laughs> so, so, you know, what I'm thinking about here is, look, Peloton is suffering. I think their strategy is poorly outlaid, and it doesn't mm-hmm. acknowledge the reality that, like, you know, People don't want to do home connected fitness as much, yeah. And you know, but I do think I do think they have a great brand, and I think that's there's very likely that somebody will try to buy them because yeah. Apple could make uh, could make great money off of Peloton. Oh, it's yeah. just it's so in line with everything they do. You know, they they love high margin brands that appeal to like upper middle class white people. Like mm-hmm. it's Bungie so Apple
0: bur- suburban white people. Yeah,
1: yeah. But but aside from that, I'm more concerned about just like all of these these companies as you know we're, we call them like in the people who like follow like the stock market and stuff pandemic darlings right right and there's, what are we some know, examples like who would be a pandemic darling um, besides time. Net- Netflix uh, DoorDash mm-hmm. remember because like you had to like order shit <laughs> <You're shooting laughs> you know mobile, you yeah. Could, yeah I mean again not in Florida but the rest of the country. Yeah. Um, Shopify, because people are yep. buying things online, mm-hmm. even Amazon to a degree, but Amazon has a very strong business even before the pandemic, right? Yeah. Um, Instacart, which is similar vein to DoorDash. Yep. Um, and then like in the enterprise kind of software market, you know, you got Zoom, which we're using right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and DocuSign. DocuSign is a company that lets you sign contracts and documents remotely. And yeah. That was something that people were like, "Oh my God, we, what are we going to do? We can't meet in an office. We need to sign contracts." So, mm-hmm. um, those are some of them. I'm sure there are, I'm sure there are a few others, <laughs> but in general, they're not doing so hot. Like a lot of the consumer trends that i mentioned that happened during the pandemic have almost mostly reversed themselves. Yeah, I think that's temporary. I don't think that, like overall, e for example, e commerce. E commerce was already growing like i don't know like eight percent a year before the pandemic why would that change yeah like i don't fucking go to the i hate going to the grocery store it's like the worst exp- it's like the bane of my existence do you use um do you use uh instacart or something like that? oh no instacart to me is shit okay i'm sorry instacart instacart is like the wait what do you use what's the alternative amazon fresh okay so it's direct from whole foods then since they own that no, actually, whole you can order from Whole Foods, but it's like a separate thing. Like you can oh. but you can do it all through the Amazon app. Yeah, interesting. But but I like Amazon Fresh because you what they have, they know they have it. You know they have it in stock. Okay. They wouldn't say they have it if they don't have it. Okay. Compared, which is different from Instacart, where it might say they the store has something in stock, but then they don't. Right. And then you got like the dumbest people picking up and delivering who like literally can't even write their own names if you ask them to, oh and so God. they're like. They're like, if you don't answer them right away, which I'm not looking at my phone at all when I'm waiting for my Instacart, they'll just like replace it with something totally different. different. Yeah. And so you have time, you don't get anything you ask for. And then, um, and then like the, the quality of the produce they bring is like shit. And I've just every time I've used Instacart, I've just instantly regretted it. So, okay. I think it's insta regret. All right. Sorry um, for dragging you off on
0: that. Um, no, it's aggression. okay. But
1: yeah, it's okay. Really, what I just wanted to say here is just that. Um, I think that some of these companies will really have to think about what their post-pandemic strategy and Mm -hmm. what's going to make them sticky going forward. Peloton clearly has sticky in terms of users engaging with them. Oh, okay. Retention rates. Peloton has clearly not thought about this at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that Zoom is going to be okay. I think that Zoom is still growing 50% year over year. Zoom yeah. doesn't make their money from you and me. Zoom makes their money from the enterprise market. They sell to large businesses. Yeah. And no I shouldn't I'm gonna get I'm gonna get smacked for saying this by someone, but no legitimate company doesn't use Zoom because it's what we expect. <laughs> well <Wait, are> you're <laughs> saying no legitimate company does not use Zoom? Yeah, like for, oh. for video conferencing. Mm. Like everybody uses Zoom. Yeah. And and yeah, there's probably some like dinosaurs that use like Microsoft teams, teams. but teams, sucks. <laughs> I'm it sorry. Stinks. It's like, it's just, I don't understand how you have all that money and you have an existing version of what's good, which is zoom. And you still can't do it right. I, I don't get it. Yeah. So me neither. yeah, but, uh, but it's, but it's, it's going to be, I guess my point is just, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I'll give mm-hmm. you, I'll give you another tidbit. Yeah, um, please. Instacart for example so because companies like Instacart that are um not especially when they're not public but also when they're public they provide part of their compensation in terms of stock equity right stock compensation that could to be their employees you mean yeah it could be um it could be options or it could be just restricted stock or whatever but mm-hmm. They realized that because the market's going so south, that the valuation that they had their stock options at was too high, where nobody would make any money off of it. So they actually slashed their own private enterprise value of their company from 30, I think it was like 38 billion to 17 billion, just to make their stock compensation packages more attractive.
0: Wait, I don't get how that makes sense. They make
1: their own stock worth less money somehow. Or am I misunderstanding? It's basically you? saying that the the price of the stock that that you could exercise it at, the fair market value is lower. Or not the fair market value the the strike price is lower. So you're you're basically getting it at 17 billion dollars instead of at thirty eight billion dollars, right? And that equates to a certain price of a stock option. Mm-hmm. But if you get it at the higher valuation of 38 billion, there's less upside for you, because you may go public and it may go, it may actually be publicly valued at 20 billion, and right, then you made okay. no money. I see. So if you, so if it's high, lower, then you can make more money. Okay, I got you. Yeah, it matters for hiring, you know. Right. And I just, I just think this all started with, it's, it's what's, what's happening now is that because interest rates are going up, mm-hmm. suddenly the cost of gaining access to capital is going up and it's becoming more difficult.
0: Wait, the and cost of gaining access to
1: capital? Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Because if you get money, whether you're an individual or whether you're a business, mm-hmm. and that can come in all different forms, it could be a loan, it could be a line of credit, it could be a secured loan, could be there's all sorts of ways you can get it. It could be venture capital. Yeah. Well, however you get money, it's going to cost you more because the, because interest rates are higher. Yeah. And so these these technology companies that have always had this sort of like grow at all cost ethos. Ethos is about, you know, their their strategy, their business strategy mm-hmm. that basically translates to grow at the expense of profitability. Yeah. And it's not clear now exactly how that's going to uh how that's going to bode for them in the future. Right. And so what you're seeing is that a lot of big technology companies are slowing down their hiring, mm-hmm. which is something we haven't seen like not in my lifetime, or at least not as far back as I can remember. Yeah. So like Facebook, um, and or Meta, sorry. Oh yeah. Am- Amazon, Uber—they're all slowing down their hiring, which is something we just haven't seen them do. Like Uber, like Uber was the the poster child for fuck losing money. We don't care we're just gonna hire and gain users at all costs yeah and then once we gain all these users we'll find a way to monetize them like raise prizes for example the, or something but but yeah. it's a, but it's a winner takes all somebody has to be the winner yeah and this model was proven by Facebook and maybe Google um, and, a, and maybe you know maybe other social media companies right but basically it was like, You know, Facebook investors, you know, treated Facebook with this sort of attitude of even before they went public, like, Mm -hmm. don't worry about making money. We we don't care about your profitability. Just get the users. Yeah. Get the users to build a habit of using your product as much as possible. As much as possible. And then you can figure out how to make money off them later. And that worked for Facebook. Now that now that they have all the users, three million, they make I, I forgot exactly what it is, but it's quite a lot. I think it's like I think their market like, cap value is what? Um, let's see. It's like five hundred billion now, which is way down from what. It what used do you to call be. it? What am I searching for?
0: Market cap?
1: Well, that's the enterprise value. That's like how much they're worth as a company. I'm thinking of the average revenue per user. The uh, they call it ARPU, oh. <laughs> AR, ARPU. I forgot what it is, but it's a lot. I see. And so Facebook has, Facebook mints money. Don't look at their stock. Yeah. They mint money, and right. so does Google. Yep. But that model has been proven to be difficult for other companies. Uber hemorrhages money. Yeah. And it's not clear if they'll ever be profitable. And and now the-, the Are they just surviving off of venture capital money then? Or what are they doing? Um, How can not, they stay operating when they're just hemorrhaging money? Well, they need access to capital. So they either yeah. need, they, there's only a couple ways to do it. They either have lines of credit they can access. Mm-hmm. Or they can they can uh, sell stock, right? So yeah. they can say we're going to sell, I don't know, whatever, hundred million shares or something, right? Yeah. And that will raise money for them. That will also okay. dil- that will also dilute, you know, their stock holdings a little when you put that much into the market. Well, it doesn't right. it doesn't dilute their stock, but it dilutes the market with right. more with more shares. Um, and, Sorry, if these are dumb know. questions. About- no, they're not dumb questions. It's, it's a good question, um, and you're right. Like they eventually, there's a there's a it, when you have access to capital, you can keep that model going. But when you don't, now you suddenly have to think about becoming profitable to sustain yourself. And that's yeah. what's happening. So that's why Uber is right. making this shift and other companies are going to follow. Yeah. And it's unclear if this will be short or long-term. Facebook, okay. Facebook started doing this because they were getting their revenue was dropping mm-hmm. and they were putting all of their money into... Sorry, their revenue wasn't dropping. Their revenue growth rate was dropping. Right. And they were putting all of their a lot of their free cash into the metaverse. So that's Oculus. Okay, that's, right. that's Oculus and their VR and stuff. Right. Yeah. And they basically told this to investors. They were like, yeah, don't worry that TikTok is eating our lunch. Like, we're just gonna put all of our dump all of our money into the metaverse. And you know, by 2030, we'll be fucking $10 trillion company, right? That was basically their attitude. the market didn't like that (laughs) and 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 the stock price shows it and now Mm -hmm. they're now that's like they're pulling that back a little right yeah but can
0: you talk to me i feel like i don't really get what meta excuse me not facebook meta wants to accomplish with the whole metaverse uh bet or the, the the whole venture into the metaverse first of all do they really think that everybody wants to sit around with the Oculus Rift headset on all day and move around in a 3D space looking at things that in some way maybe exist in the real world? What what are they trying to do that is supposedly so revolutionary? Because I feel like I'm missing something.
1: I'm gonna talk about this as though as though I'm supportive of it. I'm gonna talk about this as though on Facebook, okay? Okay. In a sense. This is a personification. Of their social network that Facebook has built. Yeah. It's social network, but in a in a, in a visual world. A visual virtual 3D space? Exactly. Hasn't and, this been attempted before? Well, techno- I mean, technology isn't quite there and the adoption of that technology isn't there. So the and only way the metaverse can feel real is when the, the video graphics cards and your devices, whatever they are are strong enough. And and that, that that has to happen through either either your laptop or mm-hmm. your phone. Or, yeah. you know, now what they're doing, now what Facebook is doing is just selling the all in one device. So they're like, you know what, fuck it. We don't want to think about what type of video graphics card somebody has on their phone. We don't want to wait for Apple, be more dependent on Apple to catch up or whatever. Right. It's all in one. That's the Oculus. So if, now if you buy that, if you buy it today, it's an all in one device, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually own an Oculus. Full disclosure. Yeah, you um, bought one, lost it, and bought another one. Yeah, didn't we talk about that last? Week? Yes, we did mention it last time, <laughs> at the very end of last episode. And I still never opened it. Um, yeah, so so their idea is like everybody's going to be, everybody's going to want to socialize in this metaverse where you can buy digital clothing and bake a digital avatar Jesus. and go shopping at you know Hermès and buy a Hermès digital Birkin bag and show it off and there are signs there are sort of indicators that that this is this is what people like and you don't have to look very far to find that if you look at Really? If yeah if you look at the gamer world if you look at like Twitch Discord Mm-hmm. Uh, Fortnite, which is owned by Epic Games, which is mostly owned by Tencent. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what people do. They like to exist. There's a lot of people who like to exist in a in a digital virtual world, gain credibility or status there somehow. Yeah. And that's fine for them. That that's okay. That's be- to them that's more accessible than trying to do it in real life. Mm-hmm. And I, that's not it's not a knock against anyone. It's fun. Like it's it's fun to be virtual sometimes like it is you know for me facebook's right. basically betting that they can make something so compelling that you'll want to do everything through there yeah. like it's not on it's not it's not unfeasible that i don't even know if that's a word it's not unfeasible that um you could do basically everything through the metaverse like i could be like you know what and i don't know if anyone's talking about this but you i could be like you know what i'm gonna go to chick-fil-a mm-hmm. in the metaverse and and look at look at their menu and order some shit, and, and they'll have my payment information on file, and it'll send it to my house through, I don't know, Uber Eats or something. <laughs> like, yeah. That's possible. Or I could watch a movie with my friends, or a virtual concert. These things are already happening, but they're happening, they're happening in not like, a, it's it's like it's like s- some experiences are happening in certain um, environments. Like like for example, Fortnite has virtual concerts. Really? Right. Yeah. We don't have like a fully immersive, fully comprehensive world that you can go into. Mm-hmm. And Facebook, and I think correctly, Facebook believes that this will be a winner-take-all space. There can't be multiple metaverses. No. Or there because it's just not going. It's just too expensive, and there's just like every, everyone's going to gravitate to the one that has all their friends on it. Yeah. And you're not going to just switch between them because you, maybe you need different hardware, or maybe you needed to log in another account, whatever, whatever the reason, there's yeah. not going to be a good enough reason. And so the Facebook saying, we're going to win this battle. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think that uh, they're going to make money through this uh, metaverse, virtual 3D world through advertisements like they do on their own website? Because if Ever. that's the case, I am never in my life adopting it. If I have to walk through a virtual 3D space and look at the amount of advertising that I see on Facebook and Instagram, <laughs> I'm gonna kill myself. It's it's in the metaverse. There's so many I'm ways to blow myself up at the virtual meta
1: headquarters. <laughs> so there's so the answer is yes, but I mean and as, I didn't read that. I just it just makes sense. But like right. there's so many ways to do advertising. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put up a, a virtual billboard in the metaverse. You could, but you don't have to. You, an advertisement could be like, you know, I don't know, concert by T-Pain sponsored by PepsiCo. Like, I don't know. Right. Like, you know, T- that's like, I'll <laughs> take your shirt off. Of, yeah. And then T-Pain's wearing a, a, oh shit. I don't know. Some kind of brand, Adidas shirt. And now, but Adidas had to pay for that, you know. Right. Like, so you'll see advertising; it'll be in all sorts of different ways. And like, but what you know, they'll they'll also be selling like like virtual spaces to certain brands. So, like, mm-hmm. let's say I don't know how Facebook's going to do this, but um, let's say they wanted to recreate Madison Avenue in New York City, right? Which is yeah. probably something they'll do. I don't know if how realistic, like the shopping make. street. Yeah, there's a lot of like high end stores on there. Well. Right. For Hermes or for Gucci to have a store there, mm-hmm. they'll have to pay Facebook rent, basically, you know, yeah. to, uh, to occupy that space. So that's money. That. And then every time there's a microtransaction in the metaverse, which there will be a lot because mm-hmm. people do microtransactions a lot for digital mm-hmm. items. Yeah. Facebook will get a cut of that. This so
0: blows my mind because you're, you're really- not ending up with anything tangible. You're not getting you, an Hermes bag. You're not getting a shirt. You're not getting a pair of shoes. It's just a
1: digital line of code, right? But when I when I buy, let's say I buy an Hermes bag, what am I getting? You're like, getting I, a physical
0: say, bag that you can carry your shit
1: around in. So if I spend $20,000 on a Birkin bag, what am I getting? $20,000 of goods? Well, you're getting a tangible item that you can actually use for something. Am I but, crazy? No, I, I get what you're saying. I'm I'm being uh you know, I'm devil's I'm being, advocate, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly what I'm saying is that if you buy a twenty thousand dollar Birkin bag from Hermes, mm-hmm. um you're really buying status. You're buying something that shows people that you yeah. own this item that makes you look a certain way. Maybe oh, that makes Jesus. you look more desirable, or maybe it makes you look richer, yeah. whatever. And right. so that's the same psychological triggers and and strings that are being pulled on people virtually, right? Mm-hmm. Like, And like, I can only tell you this from a perspective of, you know, a millennial who's played a lot of games, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't see myself at this point in my life using the metaverse, but as someone who's played a lot of games, I understand why I'd want to have a cool outfit that makes me stand out from everyone else, every other avatar walking around. Right. And that's going to cost money. It's not... Tangible or physical, but that's going to cost money for that thing. It's going to cost um, tangible money, exactly. But it might it might cost me I don't know twenty dollars, whereas like if something else would cost me you know way more. I mean, yeah, this, I'm, I'm all I'm I'm just telling you what people are thinking. So right. imagine, okay. sure, like if you go on to Twitch and you follow a popular streamer on Twitch, mm-hmm. people pay them to get access to certain things, and those things they could get could be as stupid as they get their name in the chat like just every twitch stream twitch stream has a chat yeah their name will be a different color yeah or they'll have a little emoji next to their name or they'll be able to use a certain set of emojis or, or something yeah but and what does just that do? status right it's, what else could it be sorry for all the questions i just have a hard time wrapping my head around this but i think a lot of people do and that's why i'm glad you're asking it
0: yeah yeah uh, um the yeah, we bet. we don't. I don't know how much time we should spend on the the metaverse, but thank you for explaining that. But I think that kind of leads into some other things you wanted to talk about. no?
1: yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say one more thing on the metaverse, which is that yeah, it, A lot of people uh, talk about the metaverse and NFTs in tandem, and yeah. the reason for that is because I was talking about microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Anything. The idea would be that anything you buy in the metaverse, whether that's a piece of clothing or whether that's a piece of land quote big air quotes uh, in the metaverse <laughs> it's something that you need to have ownership of identifiable ownership and they, and people are thinking well blockchain technology nfts would be the way you know to own something like that and so people currently today are buying um are buying nfts or you know something that resembles an nft in the other in the metaverses that are currently available today mm-hmm. something like digital real estate or something Exactly. Wow. So, you know, they're Unbelievable. Just, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's gonna the, the big bet here is that it the technology has the technology has to get adopted. Yeah. If people don't pick it up and say this is how I'm going to this is how I'm going to interact address socially. my habit of exactly interacting socially or getting entertainment mm-hmm. or how I shop or how I do whatever, then the whole bet fails. Yeah. It's a huge risk for meta slash Facebook. It's a huge risk. It it is. But if you think if you, the way I think about it is if it is realistic Mm -hmm. and that's purely dependent on the quality of the technology. Yeah. If it's realistic and it feels real, you can make experiences that far exceed real life. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Imagine a metaverse strip club. (laughs) i'm (laughs) trying i'm just gonna leave everyone with that (laughs) okay sure but uh yeah and and last and then the other thing on this is that facebook's actually building stores for this right because they do want people to adopt it so they're actually opening like physical stores where people can like try the experience of you know their product putting on the headset putting on the oculus trying the games exactly and i gotta say the games are, are are really awesome like Okay. Like you feel like, but, but that's the thing, right? They want people to see it more as just gaming. If it's just gaming, Facebook's going to lose their ass on this.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. Mm. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. We're going to end on something that's a little bit more upbeat than some of the things we've been talking about today. Uh, Mike, I read about this really cool thing that kind of just encapsulates for me how some things in human nature don't seem to really change. When you travel, you want to tell your friends about it. Um, I read on uh, the website of the British Library about a 2,000-year-old postcard written by a man named – I may be pronouncing this wrong – but a man named Nearchus from ancient Egypt. Uh, It apparently is from the 1st or 2nd century uh, AD. And he wrote a postcard or the equivalent of a postcard to his friend Heliodorus, to tell his friend about his own trip down the river Nile, down the Nile. And um, his uh, reasoning, uh, why he wanted to travel, he writes, as many people embark on ships today to travel and see the excellent works of human hands, I have also decided to follow their example and sail downstream on the Nile towards Syene." I just think it's really cool to see that something that's 2,000 years old, basically, it's the same as somebody sending their friend a DM from their, you know, trip to Spain or whatever and saying, like, hey, man, I'm here. Look at this. Thinking about you. What's going on? It's just. Fun to,
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy. Essentially the same. Yeah, what if they had like a, like an ancient Instagram where it's just like this big slab of like hieroglyphs rock yeah and you just yeah you just like wrote about the cool shit you did that day or that week that's pretty <laughs> that's much it make other people jealous yeah
0: <laughs> so our friend nearchus he uh, according to the the part the papyrus postcard he's talking about how there appears to have been a market for tourism to uh, other parts of egypt so he his first destination was a town called Sain, which is uh, near a town today called Aswan. Um, and then from there, he went on to something called the Siwa Oasis, which is quite far away. This is near uh, Libya, in fact. And there he went to the temple, or excuse me, I should say maybe a sanctuary or a temple, uh, where the ram-headed god Amon gave oracles to his visitors, which Nearchus was keen to visit. This is a quote from the postcard itself. I went to Libya where Amon chants his oracles to everyone. I have received very promising words, and I scratched the names of all my friends on the wall of the sanctuary sanctuary, for eternal memory. So even graffiti was encouraged back then, because apparently <laughs> scratching your name on the wall was considered pious. Because it meant that your friends would be present at this holy place forever. Pretty neat. I I like seeing that
1: some things never change. It's fine. If you visit a temple and don't tag it with your name, were you ever really there? Yeah, good point. (laughs) This is what I think is crazy about this. And this is purely attributable to my own ignorance. But I just imagine that anybody who lived thousands of years ago was very primitive, hunter-gatherer type thinking about how to survive day to day. Yeah. And I did not imagine them traveling across borders, you know, where things could be very fucking dangerous. And there's, mm. I don't know, bandits and uh, like other shit. I just could unfathomable to me. But it just shows how, first of all, how ignorant I am, but also how advanced these particular societies were, which is why mm-hmm. probably so much of what we do and, and consume and think about today probably comes from them. And I'm still not even aware of it. Yeah, I just I just find it like absolutely fascinating that somebody thousands of years ago was just doing shit the way we do it with, you know, like, oh, my God, I went to the I went to Egypt. So fucking cool, man. Yeah. like You got to come. I wrote your name on this rock at the temple.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I went on a trip down the river. I took all these notes and I want to tell my friends about it. It's just really fun to see that um, people don't change in that way. And it's just like, hey, he wanted to share a positive experience with his friend.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah, and we got some something else too that we want to end with, which is mm. uh, this is fucking crazy to me. Okay, so yeah. what do you got? There's a 17 year old kid named Benjamin Choi, and is I he in the U.S. or where is he? Yeah, he's in he's in Virginia. Um, okay, I I this this kid has made me just just rethink. What kind of human I am? Okay, <laughs> so like, like all sorts of things I thought about myself suddenly don't make sense anymore. Okay, so right. this is this is what he did. He was bored during the pandemic, like all and of us, because he apparently he was he was going to, you know, it, he couldn't go to this lab that he was going to go to during the summer where he was going to study aluminum fuels. Okay, as like a fifteen year old or whatever. Jesus. So he just he started using his. His uh, sister's 3D printer, her like cheap seventy-five dollar 3D printer, mm-hmm. to build a prosthetic arm, a mind-controlled prosthetic arm, and he got this idea because when he was young, maybe I don't know, ten years old or something, he yeah. watched he watched a 60 Minutes episode about a mind-controlled prosthetic arm, and he was so fascinated by it, but yeah. he was also kind of appalled by the fact that this that that iteration or that invention required a brain implant and he thought that invasive
0: surgery, high risk.
1: Yeah. And he thought that there had to be a better way. And so Mm -hmm. he just out of boredom just started doing this sometimes working like 16 hours a day. Now his sisters, his sister's printer could only print like four inch pieces. So he had to make a lot of pieces Mm -hmm. to make this thing work. Yeah. And eventually he made one that um, anyone could recreate for $300 of parts and he put it online. He didn't try to profit off it, which is already like way, he's a way better human than I am right there. Right. Um <laughs> and 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 it and it uses like Bluetooth and like some type of electrode sensor, I don't know, to like analyze brain waves. Well just some um, sort of like
0: headgear that reads your brain waves.
1: Headgear headgear. And of course there's there's software to this robotics that like right. it it analyzes brain waves and then there's an artificial intelligence. Um software and an algorithm that, that can determine what the intent of those brain waves are. And it's about 95% accurate. That's insane. So this is what this kid did. Now, this is actually a problem because there's millions of people in this country who are amputees and there's about 185,000 new amputees a year. And as we all can imagine, prosthesis is not cheap. And even, even the cheap prosthesis, which is not cheap, is still is shit. It doesn't even work that well. Right. It can only do like a few things. So, Um, so I just, I just, there's so much I could say about this. I there's nothing, there's no overstatement I could make about this kid, but let me tell you something else. I think it's crazy. Uh Okay. Two more things. He got invited to apparently what's apparently, and I had no idea, which shows you how ignorant I am. Apparently the nation's like foremost science talent, um, contest, right. Mm -hmm. Called the Regeneron science talent search. I'd never heard of it. Me neither. He was invited. It's not for us, Mike. You and I would never go there. We're basically like a subspecies compared to this guy. Okay. We're like, we're like unevolved apes. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he didn't win this contest. This kid didn't win. No, another person won. And I'm going to, I'm going to get her name because if I don't, yeah, these people deserve a shout out. Yeah. You deserve your name to be called out. Her name is, Oh God. Christine V. yeah, there you go. Christine Yi. Okay, yeah. thank you, Martin. Thank you, Martin. And so Christine Yi won. And um, what Christine Yi did to win, <laughs> this is a direct quote, yeah. direct quote. She developed a way to analyze the gravitational waves emitted from collisions between neutron stars.
0: Supposedly, we share the same DNA as these people, but no, I feel no. like I'm not... <laughs> I'm I, sometimes I think I'm smart and then I read stuff like this and I'm like, oh no, no. I I'm just taking up space. <laughs>
1: like that's all this, I'm doing. How would you like think about how much knowledge one would have to have to even recognize that there wasn't a way to analyze the gravitational waves emitted from collisions between neutron stars yeah. and then to think, Oh my God, nobody's ever done this. I could do it. Yeah. Here's how I could do it. And I, these I, are kids. You'd have to read so many, and not just read, but like understand so much shit. I, I can't. Mm-hmm. And, and then by the way for Benjamin outside it says, this is a direct quote, outside of engineering, he's a nationally ranked squash player. A student body president at his school, a published short story author, a violin soloist with top finishes in several competitions, and the founder of a of a Potomac school students quiz team that competed on an NBC quiz quiz show called It's Academic. Um, He seems made up. I I don't know if I believe anymore that he's real. Like,
0: what? yeah, this is you know who this reminds me of? Uh, a couple of years ago, it came out when uh, NASA had selected a new team of astronauts uh, for, for uh, the astronaut uh, training program. And one of the guys that they selected, who was also a man, uh, Asian-American man named, uh, I think, Johnny Kim, I believe his name was, he before he became a NASA astronaut. He had also completed med school and become a medical doctor. But before that, he had also become a uh, Navy SEAL in the U.S. military. Um, so he's a Navy SEAL, he's an MD, and he's an
1: astronaut. How old was he? Oh, I don't even know. But, you know, maybe in 40s or something. Of, just the fact that he did all that was just... You know, like when I, every time I watch some kind of like superhero movie, yeah, I get so annoyed because they always have like these like young, beautiful people who have like seven PhDs yeah. and are like, and I'm like, nobody's like that. And now I know I'm wrong. I'm just, yeah. I'm just projecting my own inadequacy by saying mm. that. <laughs> like people are like that. But what I <laughs> like so much about this is that it's a piece of news that is purely
0: positive. There is nothing negative here. This kid saw a problem, decided to put his brains to it, and just, and actually figured it out and managed to create a, a prosthetic limb that works through brainwave reading, and it's affordable, and he put the design out there for everyone, everyone who wanted to try it, to do it, and he doesn't care about profit. He just wants to help people, and... Yeah, I don't know. These people are inspiring, and I just feel like they deserve absolutely all the recognition and, and, and praise they can get and the help to keep doing this kind of work.
1: 23,000 lines of code he wrote, 978 pages of math, and seven completely new algorithms. And for the this arm is, to work, for the prosthetic arm? Yeah, because it only works with the artificial intelligence behind it analyzing those brainwaves. And this is another thing. Uh Who is it's, this kid? I know, right? He says that... I'm glad he uses his powers for good. Yeah, right? (laughs) Please save us. Yeah. He says that the previous gold standard for how accurate a similar artificial neural network should be Mm -hmm. was 73.8%. Yeah. And I'm sure that whoever made that had like a team of people behind it. Yeah. And he did one that was like 22%, well, sorry, 22 points more accurate. Right. Um, like on his own because he was bored. During and I the pandemic. And I just can't emphasize enough. Like, I know we're talking about this a lot, but like, I just can't emphasize enough. Like he didn't do this to gain something. No. He did it because he wanted to challenge himself and he thought it would help someone. He was yeah. helping. He was working with people who had prosthetics, who were amputees, to help develop the, the final version of this. And the final mm. version is like crazy good yeah and i just i just like it makes me want to be a better person and not not less of a greedy asshole and maybe read a few more books in my life yeah
0: same (laughs) well benjamin Choi,
1: cheers to you
0: we uh we salute you thank you for everything uh that you're putting out into the world because we need more like you
1: yeah may may uh may nature weed out my genetic um, my genetic material so that, and replace <laughs> it with yours and people like you so that, you know, our species can become better than what it is today. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, cheers to that kid. What a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, we're going to round off here, but we thank you for listening and staying with us. Uh, more episodes are coming, uh, and, uh, Mike, anything you want to plug at the end here? No, I'm tired. Let's go home. All right, let's do it. Uh, (laughs) Please follow us on Instagram at ClaptrapPod. And if you like the show, please uh, subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye.